wants to forgive. Have you allowed him to forgive? And if he has forgiven you, have you forgiven yourself? This story is rich in um, comfort, if you'll allow it to be. If you're home and you're thinking about your past and it's grieving you, it's causing you to feel guilt or shame, or if being at home is giving you time to do things that have caused you to stir up a guilt or reoccur in a shame, I want you to know that God's forgiving and freeing and can free you right now. So let's look at this first scripture. In the 32nd chapter of Psalms, let's take a look at the first five verses. It says, oh, what joy for those whose rebellion is forgiven. You know, sin is rebellion. It's rebellion against your very best interest. And that's all God has in mind. When he asks us to behave in any certain way, he intends for us to have the very best life. But instead we rebel. And God doesn't want that. He wants you to find forgiveness whose sin is put out of sight. God casts your sin into the sea of God's forgetfulness. It's interesting how often we go fishing. We need to stay away from that particular lake. Let it go. Let it be gone. Let it be out of sight. I don't care what your past is. If you're repentant, truly repentant, God's forgiving. God's forgiving. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. It's not just case closed. It's record expunged. God forgiving us completely. Whose lives are lived complete in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, I was weak and miserable. And we'll see in a minute what he's talking about. This is David talking. And I groaned all day long. Day and night, his hand of discipline was heavy on me. That's that conviction that comes. That says, hey, you're hurting our relationship. God so desires to have an open and clean relationship with us. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally. Why does it take finally? Sometimes it does. Sometimes there has to be a consequence that stirs us to finally. Sometimes there has to be a corner that we're pushed into before we'll accept that it's time. Finally, I confess my sins to you and stop trying to hide them. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. Gone. Sometimes people see us the way we were. But after repentance, God sees us for who we are. You've got to see that person in the mirror as well. Tim, let me ask you a question because I see a comment or two here that, that maybe we should speak to. What do you do? I hear, I, there's one comment here that says, I'm having a hard time forgiving myself. And I think I hear this a lot. I'm hearing what you're saying. When we repent and we come before God with an honest heart, he forgives us. How do we, how do we, how do we forgive ourselves? Well, tell me, Lance, what are your thoughts on that? Now, think about this as something that could really stifle our relationship with God. What is the step to forgive myself? What do you think? I'll tell you what's helped me is, is a reframing of, of my theology, my understanding of God. Our understanding of God will frame everything else around us. So you got to stop and think, where did you inherit your picture of God? 
probably came from your parents. It could be. Probably came from something in your family of origin, whether it was a grandmother or a parent or, or somebody that kind of helped you understand who God is. They gave us a picture of God. And if they were harsh and they were unloving and they were, they were unforgiving, then I think a lot of times we carry that into our understanding of God. You have to, you have to go to Scripture what does the word tell us about God? Absolutely. And you got to, you got to flood. It's almost like picture your mind like an Etch-a-Sketch, right? The toy that you play with when Let's you're a kid. Let's turn it upside down. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we've drawn this picture of God. And sometimes you got to turn that thing upside down, shake it and go back to scripture and Amen. say, redraw the picture for me, God, in my mind. Who are you? And scripture teaches us that God is a gracious and forgiving God. And if you don't see him that way, then you're never going to be able to forgive yourself. And also in that same vein, Sometimes we block our own forgiveness with how we feel about him. If we feel God's disappointed us somehow, maybe we need to shake the etch a sketch to let him off the hook because God's not responsible for every bad thing that's happened to us. Yeah. So think about this. You, you, I, were you going to talk tonight about the prodigal son at all? So if no, I do this, I won't, I won't be interrupting something. You're going to... So think about the story of the prodigal son. When the son came home to the father, mm -hmm. he was forgiven way out on the road, right? The father met him on the road, threw his arms around him, called for the servants to kill the fatted calf, all of that. The forgiveness happened out there, but it was important for the father then to throw a party for the son because he needed to shake the etch-a-sketch. That's right. He needed That's to right. erase the, the, the guilt and, and the, the unforgiveness the son might have had towards himself. All the way home, the son was rehearsing this story about how I'm not worthy anymore. I'm not worthy. I'll never be worthy. I'll never be worthy. And the father blew that up with the party that he threw. So this is a picture of the way that God sees us as we come back to him. We've got to forgive ourselves or else uh, we're not really receiving the forgiveness of God. There you go. And along the lines of the prodigal, I also like the fact that no doubt that prodigal walked along thinking, not only have I done a bad thing, but I'm a bad person. That shame brought him to the point where his identity identified with his failure. Yes. But his father's love carried him forward to the new success in his life that was going to come because of the repentance. He was repentant and the father was embracing. I love that uh, he ran. Yeah. He ran to his son. Yeah. He watched that horizon every day and he ran. So good. It is. So good. So let's go to a story about David in the 12th chapter of 2 Samuel. What I wanted to bring up here is this remark. Right here, Nathan said to David, you're that man. I'm sure there's something we've been sitting on. Imagine David after Bathsheba and causing her husband to be murdered. As much as if David had held the arrow himself, he murdered Uriah to get him out of the way of the pitcher. Uriah was, had too much character to cover David's sin. And David pushed him into the front and had him killed. So here's David, a worshiper, a man who worshiped God, wrote songs and poems about God, even from childhood. A man who praised God out in the woods and gave him credit on the back 40 for rescuing the sheep with God's assistance from the bear and the lion. A man with God's assistance who brought down Goliath. A man with God's assistance who calmed the troubled spirits in King Saul. This was a man that was so known for worship that when the ark was coming back and David was dancing before it, his wife was embarrassed by his extravagant love for God. But then he failed. Isn't it interesting that 
Christians sometimes are the harshest critics and failure is not acceptable. We want that perfect straight A record. But failure comes. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Though a righteous man falls seven times, he'll rise again. We've got to keep our eye on the ball. We've got to keep looking to the cross, looking to our Savior. And we've got to recognize that the most merciful thing that God could do is bring Nathan to tell a story. And when David got incensed, Nathan poked him in the chest and said, you're the man. David repented, but the sin was out in the open. And David, I have no doubt, had a sigh of relief. Instead of being angry with Nathan, he said, God, forgive me. God, forgive me. And that's what that chapter that we looked at in Psalms was talking about in 32. It was talking about, oh, oh, how wonderful it is. What joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared. David understood God's forgiveness. Do you? Sometimes, because he is associated with the word father, as Lance was talking about, we associate it with earthly fathers. Our earthly fathers were imperfect. Our earthly fathers, even the best father had his bad day, and the worst father had a lot of bad days. Our earthly fathers distort the image of our heavenly father, but our heavenly father is perfect. He is extending himself to us in every way that he possibly can, but we have to reach for it. Just imagine somebody putting a deposit in the bank and saying, it's yours, here's the card. But we would never go to an ATM and use the card and we talked about our poverty. In our sinfulness, we talk about our poverty and fully live below the riches of his grace. He wants you to draw on him, to draw on him to find peace and joy, to draw on him and find forgiveness because forgiveness is available. Are you looking at bubbles? I'm looking at thought bubbles. I thought you were. Did you find one of significant thought there? Well, I, you know, it looks, like, it looks like we've hit a nerve here that, you know, people, people learning to forgive themselves, I think, is a key. It, it's it is, huge. It is, it is a challenge. It really it's is. It's a challenge, but it's huge. We need to forgive ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, and moving past. Moving past. I thought of another thing about forgiving ourselves. You really have to see Jesus on the cross, the finished work of Christ, that what he did, what he endured, the scripture says he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Hebrews says he endured the cross, he scorned its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. And so I think, I think a starting point for, for understanding the grace of God is to understand that the full wrath of God was satisfied in Jesus on that right. cross. That's that right. he wore everything. My sin, my unforgiveness, uh, my, my reproach. Um, all of that was put on him, and he, he bore the whole weight of it. And so if I try to come back and bear it myself again, if I couldn't do it the first time, how can I do it the exactly. second time? Exactly. If, if I needed a Savior before, how can I then come and say, well, I don't need that Savior anymore. I need him every day, every moment. He wears it. So here's the thing. Can we move past our past and live in this present peace that God has for us? God wants us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt, that we're forgiven. He wants us to be at peace. He wants us to know love. He wants us to overflow with an abundance of receiving his love so we can pour it into others' lives so that they can feel the love of Christ through us. 
You want to see God? We are God's hand extended. So as you touch other people's lives, they're judging your God by your behavior. And if you can't forgive yourself, how can they believe that God will forgive them? We've got to move past reasoning that we can be good enough on our own and realizing we are made good in Christ. I don't have to go before God in my rags. I can go before God in the righteousness of Christ and I can hide myself away in the cleansing of his blood. I love, I love, I love that God loves me. That God loves me as I am. When Pastor Lance was talking about the cross, just think about this. The first prize of Calvary was a thief that was dying next to him, judged and accepting that he was guilty and repentant for his sins. And Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise today. I can't imagine how he could see beyond their death and say, remember me when you come into your kingdom. But he did. He could see that it was possible to be loved by a forgiving creator and move into a place of forgiveness. He accepted that he'd been rightly judged, but he also accepted that he was loved even in the place on the cross. You've got to understand, God knows. God knows where you've been. And he went to Calvary to carry your shame for that place to the cross and bring forgiveness into your life. He wants you to feel clean. He wants you to feel whole. You know, when we talk about perfection, people think of perfection as not breaking any rules, not falling short, not being imperfect. But perfection is wholeness. A car without wheels is imperfect. We're made complete in Christ. God wants you to understand it's the presence of Christ that'll help us win. Paul said he crucified himself daily. It's not that he didn't struggle. But in the midst of that, he wrote half the New Testament. What does that tell you? He understood God's grace, that empowering presence to be who I need to be and do what I need to do. In this whole process, God wants to complete you. So, Tim, I want to throw something in here for the rest of us. So clearly there are people here that are struggling with forgiving themselves. And if we're honest, I think all of us at Absolutely. some point or another. I believe have, it's have, all universal. We, we stumble, we fail, we're stupid sometimes. We, we, we make some really poor choices and we struggle to forgive ourselves. But here's, here's something to remember for all of us. Forgiveness comes in community. Right. It comes from God first, but then it's distributed in community. So we have a responsibility. There's this scripture that I've always wrestled with. Jesus said, if you forgive, he told his disciples when he was sending them out, he said, if you forgive the sins of others, they'll be forgiven. And I always wrestled with that. I thought, who are we to act as, as agents on God's behalf offering forgiveness? But I think I've come to a place of understanding of that scripture that really we, we're the ones that apply the forgiveness by receiving our brothers back into fellowship That's when they right. failed. That's and right. by refusing to identify them by their sin. That's right. And so I think that's a huge key for all of us in community. If you know somebody that stumbled and they've fallen in the past, restore such a brother. And then once you've restored them, don't bring it up or identify them in that way anymore and help them when they start to identify themselves. That's not who you are. That's who maybe the devil wanted you to be, but God has given you a new identity. So we have a responsibility to to help appropriate God's forgiveness right. by 
helping to redefine and reshape the identity as a brother or sister in Christ. I'm, I'm not going to identify you by your sin anymore. I think that's important. This brings up the story of a person who was in a grievous sin in Corinth. And this grievous sin was being tolerated by the church. And Paul said it shouldn't be so. You need to expel that brother. He had a relationship with his father's wife. And unacceptable. Paul said this man needs to be expelled. But then he said... Now he's repented, he needs to be restored because we're not unaware of the devices of the devil. We are not unwise and unaware of his schemes. And so let's restore him so that his eternity can be protected, so that he can know acceptance, forgiveness, and love again, so that he can come home. He needed that separation to be honest with himself, but he also needed the embrace of the church to be restored. So it really is community. And Paul made it clear in that situation that if they wouldn't restore him, the devil would be the one that would win. Dividing people that felt he was repentant and should be restored and those who were being judgmental and said, no, we don't want any part of it. Paul told us to get him out of our fellowship. It was only for a season so that he might repent and be restored. It's very important to understand that when he was repentant, God was forgiving It doesn't matter what the sin is. See, the thing is, we quantify. We look at shades of gray from white, white, white to black, 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 and everything in between. God doesn't see it that way. He says sin and not sin. We have to recognize that you know when you cross that line. The Holy Spirit will check you. The Holy Spirit will check you when you tell a lie. The Holy Spirit will check you. Uh Uh-uh. So then it's time for us to correct and get ourselves back on course Be repentant. Be restored. Here's the thing. Your eternity hangs in the balance. Your eternity hangs in the balance. But don't have guilt over things that are forgiven. Why are we bringing up things that are forgiven? God has forgotten what you've been forgiven for. It doesn't affect your relationship with him at all. Have you ever been back at Christmas and you're still thinking about what happened when you were at Christmas 20 years ago? God doesn't come to Christmas like that. When you're sitting around with the family of God, he's forgotten what happened 20 years ago. If it's under the blood, it's gone. It's not even in an old photo. It's done. And you can move forward. Not denying the past, but overcoming it through Christ. Forgiven. God really wants you to forgive and forgive. That's so good, Tim. I love this. While you were talking, I was thinking about this concept of community distributing the grace of God. And mm-hmm. I thought about, I, I got to go back to the prodigal son for just a minute. If I can go. just go, go, go back there for just a second. When that whole story shows the picture of the father's heart, right. how gracious and forgiving he was. But if you look at it, the next thing the father does after forgiving the son was he begins to direct his household on the different aspects of the party. That's right. You go do this. You go do that. You go do this. We're going to throw a party tonight. And he brought the whole household into agreement with his forgiveness. And everybody participated in distributing the grace of the Father. That's right. And here's the way that the church is supposed to work. We, we, we receive the heart of God and his graciousness and his, and, his, and his forgiveness when a brother comes home. Okay, It's his heart that starts the party. But it's our hands and feet that throw the party. That's right. And so that's the job of the church then is to put our arms around and embrace that fallen brother. And that, I think, is the missing link a lot of times. 
A lot of times the reason that we can't forgive ourselves or we can't really receive the forgiveness of God is we're waiting for it to come in some ethereal way down from the heavens, the clouds to part, and for us to see some intangible thing that shows that God has forgiven us. But the intangible thing is the acceptance and the grace and the forgiveness that comes from the body of Christ. That's right. The church distributes the grace of God, and we are that church. And as you return to the prodigal son, it also reminded me of the other brother. Here's the thing about the other brother. The other brother thought when that son left and took his inheritance and basically said, I wish you were dead so I could have my inheritance. The other brother thought, I'll work twice as hard to earn dad's love. So when the son came back and they celebrated that he was back from the dead, the brother had a fit. Why did he have a fit? Because he was trying to earn something that already belonged to him. Yeah. Are we trying to earn something that already belongs to us? You don't have to earn God's love. He's already given it. He's already distributed it. He's already applied it. Don't earn it. Receive it. Yes. Just receive it. You know, I believe a lot of Christians fall under guilt and shame because they feel like God's being critical. I got off of my uh, journey through the Bible this year and I should be well into Psalms and I'm over in Leviticus. All of a sudden, guilt starts to come in. Oh, I'm nowhere near the Christian I should be. I didn't pray an hour today. All of a sudden, shame starts to come in. I'm not a good person. I'm not a good Christian. God doesn't measure you by a standard like that. God looks for you to respond. We get into the Word because we love Him. Jesus looked forward to prayer, not because prayer was a chore that He was assigned. He slipped away because He wanted to have fellowship with the Father. We have to know God on a different level. God's not a taskmaster. He's dad. He wants us to use a phrase like Abba, which means daddy. Yeah. He wants us to come to him because we enjoy climbing up in his lap and feeling his embrace and knowing that he loves us in spite of the fact that sometimes we're not very loving to ourselves. What do you see in the mirror? I've met lots of people that don't see a very good image in the mirror because of something their parent might have said, because something a coworker said, because some... We're so influenced by the opinions of others. But if we have God's favor, whose opinion do we need? God, be first, be first. And then all of a sudden we can uh, be like uh, Psalms 51 with David. Let's see what he says. David had been poked in the chest by Nathan. Nathan said, you're the man. Let's see what he says. In 51, he starts out with, have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love. First of all, he knew he could obtain mercy because God's love hadn't quit yet. As a matter of fact, God's love is unfailing. That means he didn't quit loving because David was off track. Do you love your children when they mess up? Do you love your children when they're in jail or prison? Do you love your children when they just don't do right? Yes. God's love doesn't fail because you're off track. So here he says, have mercy on me because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sin. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. And also this shows that we need the outside influence of God to get our heart right. We need the influence of God to come within and help us get on track. It's not in our strength that we do Christianity. It's in his strength. So our responsibility is to rest in his strength. We struggle to be Christians because we're trying to please a God that's already in love with us. He doesn't need us to earn it. He needs us to receive it.
It says right here, purify me from my sin. For I recognize my shameful deeds. They haunt me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. Wait a minute. What about Bathsheba and Uriah? But yet ultimately he failed God. Yeah. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from my heart. And that's all God desires is true honesty. So you can teach me to be wise in my inmost being. Purify me from my sin and I'll be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Oh, give me back my joy again. And that's how you know you're off track. When your joy evaporates, you're not where you're supposed to be because there is no confidence in sin. You cannot stand in a puddle of sin and worship our Savior. You have broken me, now let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sin. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me again to the joy of my salvation. Make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to sinners. Then they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood. O oh God who saves, then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O oh Lord, that I may praise you. And again, that responds to the fact that he was faking it. Once he'd sinned, he was known to be a worshiper, which I laid the groundwork for before. But after Bathsheba, it was a fake. He went to the celebrations, going through the motions, but not filling the joy. Worship without joy is just dry effort. God doesn't want you to live in the desert. He wants you to live in the lush paradise of his grace. He wants you to feel the joy of your salvation. Oh Lord, that I may praise you. You will not be pleased with sacrifices or I would bring them. If I brought you a burnt offering, you wouldn't accept it. The sacrifice you want is a broken spirit, a broken and repentant heart. Oh God, you will not despise. So help us, God. If there's anything that in reflection says, I'm not where I should be, God, make me right with you and bring me back to the God of my salvation. Help me find peace at the end of the day. Help me know the joy that you want me to have and help me to be free from guilt and shame. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your testimony is. If it's forgiven, in God's eyes, it's forgotten. He wants you to fade the memory of failure and see the joy of relationship. Community, not only with the body, but with him. I believe it was um, Benny Hinn who said, good morning, Holy Spirit. He'd start his day, good morning, Holy Spirit. When I get up, I say good morning to my wife. Good morning, Holy Spirit. Let's let him know. Welcome, Father, into my life, into my home. It's better to welcome God in the morning than repent in the evening. Welcome him into your day. When you have big decisions, ask him, God, how can I do this and please you? How can my work honor you? How can my parenting honor you? How can my service to my spouse honor you? How can I be the man I'm supposed to be? How can I follow in your footsteps? You know, it's beautiful when you walk behind a father and son and the little guy has is, is got the same swagger as his dad. That's what God wants us to have, the same swagger as our heavenly father, filled with love and acceptance. You notice Jesus hung out with sinners and you know why they hung out with him? Because they didn't 
feel condemnation. Their guilt and their shame was relieved by his love and they felt peace and joy. God wants people to, be, to want to be around us because of the beauty of the gospel, because it relieves their guilt and shame, because it brings freedom. God wants love, acceptance, and forgiveness to follow us everywhere we go. God help us not to look down on people, but to lift them up. It's so easy once you get better than you were to feel better than others. And God wants us to lift people to the level that we found in Christ. God wants us to help them to bloom in the garden of heaven's love. God wants us to help them to see that we can shed guilt and shame. We are not a bad person. We're created in the image of God. We were a sinner, but now we're a saint. Paul doesn't address the churches as, hey, you sinners over in Corinth. Hey, you sinners over in Galatia. He says to the saints. What's he saying? That I've been sanctified, cleansed, washed in the blood of Jesus. The stain of sin has been washed away. The old man died. I was baptized and I went down as Tim, but I came alive in Christ. It's by his strength, by his renewal, by his ability that I stand. Not by my ability. My ability would have taken me to punishment, but his ability is going to take us all to everlasting life. Be at peace with who you are in Christ. God loves you. Lance, do you have any closing comments? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just so impressed tonight as we've been talking. I've been so impressed to think about the links that God has been willing to go to Amen. to get to us. That's right. How desperately, how deeply he longs for fellowship with us. That he would climb over the mountain of our sin and our disappointment and our rejection of him. Starting all the way back in Genesis when we first failed, when, when Adam and Eve first failed God. He started hatching a plan that day. And you page through the scripture cover to cover and you find him laying out his plan and, and enacting his plan to overcome all of our failures and our sins to pursue us. That's right. The depth of his love is really kind of, it's kind of humbling. It's very humbling. It's humbling to think that the creator of the universe loves us and pursues us and doesn't quit pursuing That's us. That's right. That's right. He comes after us that, that when, when, he, when, he, when he hatched the plan, this is the part that, that boggles my mind. That while we were yet sinners, mm -hmm. Christ died for us. That's right. So in other words, he factored in all of our sin. That's right. He factored in all of our failures, past, present, and future, when he made the choice. That's right. When he made the leap to come down from heaven and to make his home on this earth, to walk with us towards the cross. And when he went to the cross, he had already factored in the fact that we weren't worthy and that there wasn't anything that we could do to make ourselves worthy. It was his initiative it was his love, it was his blood that was shed for us that right. made us worthy. And I'm so impressed and so humbled tonight by how far he was and is willing to go right. to overcome our sin. It's, it's a work of God's grace. Absolutely. I don't ever want to fall back into the trap of thinking that somehow, some way, I can clean myself up. Because we can't. No. We can't. No. If somehow I don't need a Savior. Somehow I can... I can 
I can get this done on my own. I can stand right before God based on something that I do. And here's the reality. Our righteousness, the Bible says, is as filthy rags. That's right. It's worthless. It has no value. But what does have value is the fact that God loved us so much. As image bearers of Christ, you and I, we're really, we, we really, without God, are just dirt bags. Literally. He formed us out of dirt. That's right. But it wasn't until he leaned over and breathed into our nostrils the breath of God. We became image bearers of God. That's right. And his love for us, his pursuit of us, has been unrelenting ever since that day. And so we stand before God righteous and justified, not because of anything that we've done or haven't done today. It's because of the finished work of Christ. It's because of the pursuit of God that culminated in the, in the, right, in, in the anger of God being satisfied in Jesus on right. that cross. And right. now you and I stand right before him because of that grace. It's, it's humbling. It's impressive. It's something that I can think about the rest of my life and never fully wrap my mind around how deeply and passionately he loves us and pursues us. So let's get the accusations of the accuser off the plate. Let's ask God to forgive. Let him forgive you. It, it doesn't matter. You can tell me how serious your story is. And I've heard some serious stories. In our culture, we'll register offenders and the culture will never forgive them completely. In our culture, we'll tell people that your failures are genetic and you'll never overcome them. But through Christ, my shame can be pushed aside. My guilt can be resolved and I can be at peace and in love with my family again. Be in love with your creator with all your heart, dance before the Lord with joy because he loves you, he forgave you, he's accepted you, he's written your name in the Lamb's Book of Life and he's waiting to welcome you into an eternal home. So don't waste another minute on coulda, shoulda, woulda that never got anything accomplished. Jesus made it possible for us to sit here and say, you're welcome in the beloved through Jesus Christ. You're part of the family of God. You have an eternal home with us. Yes, you're stuck with me for eternity. Be filled with God's love. Be filled with God's joy. Be filled with God's peace. Don't let the devil torment you about anything. Be free. If you struggle, God goes with you. If you're tormented, God will settle your heart but you have to let him in. Do not do Christianity in your own strength. Do your Christianity with the righteousness of Christ, with the full armor of God, with the blood of Jesus applied. And then when you get up off your knees, the devil will tremble. We've got to be that person that knows God so well that we know he loves us. Let's close in prayer like this.